Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email to amen at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Keltz. In this message, you will be encouraged and challenged as you see what it means to get off your donkey and live a life full of compassion. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, I'm excited to start a new sermon series, a new sermon series today. It's going to be something that we're going to be going through for the next three weeks. And listen, I want you just to please, please, please make a point that for the next two weeks, the next two previous weeks, it's so important that you hear because the messages that God has just put on our hearts to be able to deliver to the people of God, the, the exchange church, it's going to be so important because we are in an exciting season. As Pastor Jared uh, has said for the last two weeks, right, uh, we are stepping into a new season. And last week, it was such a powerful, wasn't it such a powerful message last week? Wow. Our first message here in this house, and we talked about uh, God has a new season for us. And But the thing is, is just because it's God's will, just because God said that it's, God, it's his will for it to happen, doesn't mean that it's going to happen, right? He can have a promised land. He says, that's what I'm promising to you, but you got to, by faith, step into what God has for you. You have to go and work for it. Amen. And so he just, it was just awesome. Please get on our, our Facebook. In fact, this morning, check in on Facebook. Uh, as you check in on Facebook here at the Exchange Church, uh, we're, we're doing missions uh, work and doing that. But get on our Facebook. Please, as, uh, and you can, there's a link there. You can go and listen to last week's message. Uh, we're going to have that every week. And I'm just going to ask you, can y'all do me a huge favor? Like those things and share those things. Because the more that we like those things and share those things, the way that Facebook works is the more that they put it to the front of somebody's uh, as they scroll. So the more likes and shares that it gets, the more they put a priority on it and the more we get free advertisements. So that's a good thing. Amen. So we're going to be talking on the next three weeks about a story, and uh, we're having a little technical difficulty this morning. I had something I was going to put up there and get you guys to say it with me, but you're just going to have to hear me say it, because this is God's word for us for the next three weeks, and then I want you to say it, okay? I'm going to say these three words, and then I want you to say it, all right? Get off your donkey. Now say it back to me. Get off your donkey. Yeah. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor... Get off your donkey. Now, this is going to be really awkward because you just ignored one of your neighbors. So the other neighbor that you just ignored, I want you to look to them and say, get off your donkey. Okay, now the King James Version is completely different. They use a different word. So let's use that word next. Get off your... No, we're not going to go there. Okay, we're not going to say that. <laughs> But God, as we're just praying about, God, how do we move into this new season that you have for us? The word that God spoke to my heart was, it's time, Kevin, to get off your donkey. And you may be thinking, whoa, Pastor Kevin, where are you going with this? This is kind of crazy. And I'm telling you, we're going to be talking for the next three weeks about a story that is very, very 
uh, familiar to lots of people. In fact, uh, raise your hand if you've ever just heard the term Good Samaritan. I, I, most of us have heard that, right? Raise your hand if you've ever read the story in the Bible or you've heard the story from the Bible about the Good Samaritan. So that's most of us. And here's the thing. When you do a series on something that's very familiar, it's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. The good thing is, it's like, wow, yeah, I'm familiar with this. The bad thing is like, yeah, I'm familiar with it. So I probably know everything that you're about to say. And we check out, right? Like I was asking some people this last week about, hey, do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? What's that about? And, you know, uh, some people say, well, it's about, it's about serving, it's about helping. And that's true. And, and you may be, you know, going, hey, Pastor Kevin, I really do know everything about this story. But I'm telling you, this is going to be a fresh, yeah. new revelation. We're going to look at this story from three new perspectives in these next three weeks. So please, don't check out. I need you. I need you to push in. Okay? I need you to have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Is that Okay. Amen. So let's stand this morning for the reading of the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be right in the middle of this story in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. And the Word of God says this, but a Samaritan. Everybody say Samaritan. Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where this man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Everybody say pity. It's, it's really, a, the word pity is a horrible translation. We're going to talk about that later. But he, he, took, he took pity on him. So he sees this guy in need. In verse 34, it says, And when he went to him, he bandaged him, okay? He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey. And so here, here's the, the whole sermon series right there. See, he had to get off his donkey and do something. And that's what God is calling us to, to get off this, our donkey. And he says this, that he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you once again for the, for the power of your word. Lord, I just want to tell you that I love you. I thank you for the ability that you've given me to preach and teach. I thank you for giving me an opportunity to have entrance into the hearts of your people. And I believe that you sent me here with a specific assignment. Lord, I ask that you would use my mouth as your instrument to be able to do your will. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would help me to unpackage and deliver the prophetic word of the Lord. And I pray this morning that we would all make a decision right now to open up the eyes and the ears of our hearts. We pray, Lord, this is our prayer, for nothing less than transformation. We pray that we would be transformed today by the renewing of our minds. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would release something inside of us that would cause an eternal response. And we ask this today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 You can be seated. I had one of the youth ask me the other day, why do we stand for the reading of the word? And uh, it's just something that I started years and years ago, just out of reverence. Just uh, the, the word of God is the most powerful word that there is. And so we always just try to have a time in the service that we honor God and we honor his word. Is that cool? Awesome. So we're going to talk about the good Samaritan. We're talking about get 
off your donkey. And I want to ask right now, is there any Seinfeld fans out in the church today? Any Seinfeld fans? I love the show Seinfeld. Uh, I loved it when it first came on. I love to watch the reruns. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, but the way that they ended this long, long uh, career and season of Seinfeld, the final, the season finale, they did a story and a little spinoff about the story of the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to show you guys a little clip, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about it in just a second. So check this out. All right, Beto, out of the car. I'm going to capture this. Come on. Give me your wallet. Don't shoot. Give me your wallet. Come on. Come on, come on. Yeah, that's a shame. All right, I'm going to call NBC. Officer, he's stealing my car. Officer, I was carjacked. I was held up at gunpoint. He took my wallet, everything. Okay, thanks anyway. They can't get another plane. All right, what's wrong with the plane we got? They're just checking it out. Oh, oh, no, 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 not getting on there. Come on, let's get something to eat here in Sticksville. All right. Hold it right there. What? You're under arrest. Under arrest? What for? Article 223-7 of the Latham County Penal Code. What? No, no, we didn't do anything. That's exactly right. The law requires you to help or assist anyone in danger as long as it's reasonable to do so. I never heard of that. It's new. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Let's go. A good Samaritan law? Are they crazy? Why would we want to help somebody? I know. Th that's what nuns and Red Cross workers are for. The Samaritans are an ancient tribe. Very helpful to people. So, the funniest part of that is George, when he goes, why would we want to help people? And then he says, isn't that what the nuns? And the Red Cross workers are for? And I, I remember watching this episode, and I thought that was so funny. But it's also, it's also kind of sad. Because the reality is, guys, is that has become the attitude of a lot of Christians today. Or George. We see all of this stuff around us, and we see all of these people that need us to show compassion to them. But we're so busy, and we just don't care as much as we used to, right? I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's been proven in a, in a study that the University of Michigan did. And this blows my mind. They did a 30-year study from the year 1979 to the year 2009. Every year for 30 years, they would go and they would um, take these 14,000 students and they would interview them. They would send them through this, and this is what they found. From 1979 to 2009, as a whole, we as a people care 40% less about other people. And that just started to blow my mind. You know, it's heartbreaking. 40% is not a little bit. It's not like, uh, that's just a little bit. It's a lot, right? I mean, we today care 40% less. And I was reading this study, and they would ask questions to these students. They would give them a little questionnaire, and they would say, rate yourself one being lowest, five being the highest. They would ask them a question. On this statement, they'd say, I sometimes try to uh, I understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. And they would go, 
one being low or five being the highest. And then they would have another statement that would say this, I often have tender, concerned feelings about people that are less fortunate than me. And in this 30 years, there was a significant drop to where people were just caring less and less and less until we've gotten to the point that we've become George Costanza. Like, why? Why? I remember when I was a kid, and that's like, you know, over 30 years ago, I would be, every time that we saw somebody on the side of the road that needed help with their car or they needed, they had a flat tire, every time my dad would stop. And that's how I learned to fix flats is we would help people. And I know now we're kind of like the, the people that see people in need and we think, when we see that, like, oh, what, what will happen to me? Is this a trap? You know, are they going uh, to murder me? Are they going to take, you know, is this is a trap? And, we, and so we don't help. We care less and less. My question is why? Why is this happening? Why as a culture do we care less and less about others? And in doing some studying, I ran into this, another study about, uh, it talked about we've come down and are caring for people, and one of the is because the rise of social media, the rise of social media. And before, before you go, oh, Pastor, you're a fuddy-duddy, I love social media. I do. I'm on it just as much as anybody, okay? And I love how there's, there's great things that social media can do, like it can reconnect. Pastor Jared and I were talking the other day, and uh, we're just like, what happened to Joe Gillespie? And so we got on Facebook. This is a guy that we had gone to high, uh, high school with, and we hadn't talked to him since then. And that's been over 20 years ago. Where's Joe Gillespie? We pulled it up. We found Joe Gillespie. Now we're friends with him and we're talking to him and we're reconnecting. The, uh, social media has the power to do that. I don't know if you uh, saw right after the horrible Hurricane Harvey, the, my first hurricane in my life, and it was horrible. It devastated this, this community. I don't know if you realize, but J.J. Watt, the Houston Texans' own J.J. Watt, got on social media and he, he led a campaign. He said, I'm putting $100,000 out there of my own money, and I want to raise finances for the victims of this flood. In a day, it was over a million. In a couple days, it was over 10 million. Guys, he, through the power of social media, it's not all bad. Through the power of social media, he raised over $37 million. Okay? So, social media, it's not all bad. That's not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have social media anymore, but I'm telling you there's something that has happened. I was reading a study, and they were saying that social media now has caused us to be more obsessed with ourselves. It does. We think about, and in fact, think about this. Um, when I was a kid, the term selfie didn't exist. Okay, in fact, that's just happened in like the last 10 years, the word selfie. Uh, we... The problem was this. We couldn't take selfies when I was a kid. Like, like if you tried to, if there's a group of people who are like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, let's get us all in here, you would take a real regular camera, not a camera phone. This is before camera phones were existed, okay? And you would take a camera and you would click it, okay? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, youth, there wasn't a screen on the back of my camera, okay? I had to do this. Cross my fingers and take it to Eckerd's and get my film developed and hope by the time, three days later, that I got my film developed, oh, please, Lord Jesus, did we get us all in the selfie? And what would happen? No, you totally missed it. 
it, and that's why we didn't take selfies, okay? But I'm telling you, today we live in a world where everybody is taking selfies and we're posting on social media. And if you have a phone, you're taking this. I'm telling you, if you have an iPhone this morning, you could go and look on your, your camera app and you can get into your photos. And Apple has already made a little folder for you and it's entitled it selfies. And it will, every time you use the camera to take the selfies, it automatically puts those in there so you can go and find your selfies. Everybody's taking selfies. And there's so many selfies now that listen to this. In this study, 80% of what we post on social media relates directly to us and is all about us. So that means that we love to look at us. We love to look at ourselves. We love to post things, and then we love to see how many comments, how many likes that we can get. And here is why we like it so much. In this study, scientists have proven this. When you get a like, so you post this selfie, you're on vacation, you put it out there, immediately you see somebody likes it, and then somebody loves it, and then somebody puts a cool glasses, smiley face on it. When you see that, and you get that positive affirmation, it releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine. And this is very, it's a very addictive feeling that you get. And so what happens is you're like, ooh, I like that. I want to do that again. And so you're like, we're taking another selfie. And then you put it on, and they like it again, and you're like, oh, I got to take more selfies. And you get addicted to the feeling that you get when your pictures are like. The cycle is unending, and we become so all about us. The second reason why we care less and the media, the social media impact has had on us is because the information that we're presented with is now overwhelmed us and desensitized us. And what I mean by that is, let's say like this last week, I get on my social media and everybody, this is what we do. When we get any spare second, this is what we do today. We get out our phone and we oh, what's going on here? What's going on here? Instead of like, you, you'll be, we went on a date last night and there were people sitting at the table with us because we went to the hibachi grill and there were people with us and they were, they were uh, supposed to be having a date, but this is what they were doing the whole time. They weren't talking to each other. And Lisa and I were like, we're going to have a date. We're going to put that stuff up. And, uh, but you start scrolling and the first thing, I remember this last week, I got it out. And I saw, it says, oh my goodness, Las Vegas shooting. And my heart broke as I started to read, and it says, what? Over 50 people were murdered? Over 500 people were injured? I'm like, oh my goodness. And then the next thing I see is, oh, a guacamole recipe. (laughs) Awesome. And then I keep going, I'm like, oh my gosh. I can't believe this person just went to jail for domestic violence. Ha, look at this video of this crazy cat. That kid is that silly kitty cat. In, this, in this study, they said that what has happened now is our brains are being reprogrammed because this is a linear thing. And our brains now are starting to put new values. And so what happens is in your heart, you start to think, should I really care about the victims? Or do I really need to make that guacamole recipe? And it happens so often. This is the generation that we're raising our kids in, to where values are not what they used to be. And it's caused us now to care less to the point of 
less. We care now about others. And the third impact that social media has had is caused a, it's caused a decline in personal interaction. And when I think about that, I, it, it's really sad. What happens now is your interactions with most people in your life and your friends is this. Uh, huh. I got a couple of seconds. I'm going to get back on social media. And you look through here and you see, whoa, so-and-so, your buddy, he just put, lost my job today. Be praying for me. Okay? And this is what we do. We like it or we put sad face and then we say praying for you. But do we really? I mean, I'm not saying that you do or you don't. Okay? I, every time I, I say I'm praying for somebody, I do. I go ahead and pray for him. But does everybody? Or is it just easier to say, hey, praying for you and not really do it? See, what happens is this. It's such so much more impactful that Cody and I, we meet together. We see each other face to face. And he says, man, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? And now for me to say, bro, I didn't know you lost your job, man. Listen, and I grab hands with him and I look him in the eye and I say, we're going to go to God in prayer right now, brother. And he goes, yes, let's do that. And I start to declare and decree. And not only that, when I'm done praying for him, I say, you know what? I'm going to make a couple phone calls and see if I can help you get another job. And you know what? I know that you're worried about you being to provide for your family right now, but we're going to come together as a family and as a church, and we're going to help support whatever you need while this time. Now, listen, those are two totally different things. And, 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 and what I've come to the conclusion is, it's not about just liking a post, it's about loving a person. And we're losing that. We're losing that in the culture that we live in. I'm not saying social media is all bad, but I'm saying these are the impacts, this is what it's causing us to do. It's obvious that there is a problem in our culture today. We really do care less about other people. And that's why I believe God is taking us to this story today in Luke chapter 10 about the good Samaritan. Because in this passage is a solution. You see, in this passage, Jesus shows us how to increase the compassion in our life to truly begin to care like he would have us to care in this day and age. So let's just start and just go right into this story. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to talk about how you need to get off your donkey, all right? So we'll put it up on the Sky Bible for you. It says this in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everybody say eternal life. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I've been raised in church all my life, and I know many of you guys have been in church a lot. Most of the time, if you ever see the words eternal and life together, what's the first thing that you think of? Heaven, right? You think of the afterlife. You think of not right now, but after you die, you think of streets of gold, right? That's what you think of. Let me tell you something. That is not what this is talking about here. He is not talking about the afterlife. He's not talking about, he doesn't say, Jesus, what must I do to be able to get to a place where there are streets of gold? That's not what he's asking. If you go and you study this out, the, the word for life is zoe, okay? The word for eternal is the Greek word aionios. And really, the translation of this word is simply an age ending. Everybody say an age ending. So he's asking, how do I have an incredible, full, and abundant life in this age? 
that I'm living in. That's, that's what he's asking for. He's not asking about salvation. Does everybody understand? He's asking about how do I step into, in this life, what Jesus is going to talk about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, I've come that you may have life and that you may have an abundant life. He's saying, how do I get into that life now? And so what happens is, Jesus does what he often does when he was asked a question. He would answer a question with a question. So in verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In verse 27, this guy answered and he goes, he, he knows the Bible. Okay. He knows the word of God. He says, well, to love your Lord God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says back to him, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will have Zoe, you will have that abundant life now, okay? He's answering him his question, and he says, but verse 29, but he wanted this man. Here's the problem. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? This is a very poignant and specific question, and this guy was George from Seinfeld, what it all came down to. He's asking him this. Who's my neighbor? He's like, Jesus, what about, what about the, I know I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, with everything that I have with me, and love other people. And, and, and you're saying that if I do that, that I'm going to be able to have this eternal life. I'm going to have this abundant life now. And then he goes, but who, who's my neighbor? Like, like, what about those people over there that don't think like we do? And they listen to different music. Then we listen to the good music, Jesus. Do, do I have to still love them? Are they my neighbor? Or, or what about those people that are, have a different skin tone than me, that have a different ethnicity than I do? You know, our cultures really don't see eye to eye, and we, really don't, we don't really get along, and, and, and they get on my nerves, Jesus. Do I have to love them? Or are they my neighbor? What about... See, he, he's trying to get to the place where, you know what? I know there's 100% of people out there, but I only want to love 40% of them. Yeah. I know you want me to love everybody, Jesus, but who really is everybody? I mean, isn't that what the nuns and the Red Cross workers are for? Why should I have to do that? He's trying to get out of it. And what Jesus does is so phenomenal, and I want you to catch this. He He doesn't tell the guy who to neighbor. Why? Because it is implied all throughout the scripture that everybody is your neighbor. Okay? That we're supposed to love everybody. It doesn't matter if you look the same. It doesn't matter if we're the same age. It doesn't matter if we're the same ethnicity. Everybody is your neighbor. That's implied. He doesn't tell him who to neighbor. He tells him how to neighbor. And that's the answer. That's what we're going to talk about today. So in verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man... He starts to tell him this story. And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Everybody say, oh, no. Yeah, that's not good. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. Okay? They went away, and they left him half dead. So this guy got jacked up. Right? It's a horrible thing. Verse 31 says, a priest, okay, that's a good man. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by. Everybody say passed by. Passed by on the other side. And so too, so Jesus is telling this to this Jewish man. He's a lawyer. He's a teacher of the law. <laughs> and, he, and he says as a priest, 
And, and then he says, and there's a Levite. And when he came to the place and he saw this man that was naked, beaten, he's just jacked up, left for dead. It says that he passed by on the other side. Everybody say passed by. <laughs> then Jesus says the next three words. And I, please, please listen to what I'm about to say. The man that is, he's telling this story to, his jaw would have dropped. He would have been so shocked that Jesus said these next words, but a Samaritan. Everybody go, oh no. This would have, have offended this Jewish man. And here's the reason why. At this time, the Jewish people hated Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they hated the Jews. In fact, they had been hating each other for 700 years. 700 years. Guys, America's only been a country for 250. So this has been going back for generation and generation and generation. And what happened is these Babylonians, they came to Jerusalem and they conquered the city. And a lot of the Jewish people were exiled out of Jerusalem. But there was a small group of Jews that actually stayed. And what happened when they stayed, they began to intermarry with another culture, another race, the Babylonians. And those children were raised in a culture that would have like a mom that was Jewish and believed in Jehovah God. And she raised them, her kids, to believe as the Jews did. But the dad would be Babylonian and he believed in pagan gods. He worshiped false idols and he would say, yeah, 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 that's good. You know, it kind of sounds like America. Right? There's a lot of mixed uh, uh, beliefs that come together and, and people fall in love and they start to raise their kids. And, and what happened, though, is the ones that had left, those Jewish people who stayed pure to their race and, and their culture, they started to hate yeah. this mixed group of people because they had different beliefs than them. And I'm talking, they, they thought they were, were, they were less than dogs. They... This guy would, he hated, he hated, he hated Samaritans. And because the, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans did what a lot of us did. Oh, you hate me? Then I'm going to hate you right back. And so this had been going on for 700 years. And Jesus looks at this Jewish guy and says in his story, but a Samaritan. It, I can't tell you how shocking it would have been for him to hear that. And so it says, as the Samaritan traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And when he went to him, he bandaged his wounds. So he starts helping him out. He pours the oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. So what did he have to do? He got off his donkey, right? All the other guys just passed by. They didn't get off their donkey. He got off his donkey, and he helped this guy, and he brought him to an inn, maybe the Holiday Inn, I don't know, and he took care of him. In 35, it says, the next day, he took about two denarii. Everybody say denarii. denarii. That's a day's wage. So two of his day's wages, he went and he, he paid for him to the innkeeper, and he said, hey, look after him, he said. Because he says, I got to go. I can't stay here, but I'm going to come back. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. This is a powerful story of grace and mercy. And listen to this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of my heroes, in one of his famous speeches, I'm going to read this quote to you. He said this, I imagine that the first question of the priest and the Levite what they asked is, if I stop to help this man, 
what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reversed the question and asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that the message of the gospel? Isn't that what God has called us to do? And it's so true. It's so true. You see, this guy was compelled to do something. And listen, in verse 33, the Samaritan, as he saw, it says, as he saw the man, he had pity on him. I went and looked up the word pity, okay? Because that word, that, that word just bothered me. And listen to this. The Greek word here is splangnidzomahi. Say that three times fast. Splangnidzomahi. And listen to this. The literal translation of this word is to have uh, 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 the bowels yearn. I read that and I was like, what? Splangnidzomahi means to have the bowels yearn. Let me ask you this. You may not know what that means, but have you ever had your bowels yearn before? Have you ever had a bad burrito? Right? And all of a sudden, you're going about, you just had that, and an hour later, all of a sudden, right? Whoa, right? And you're like, my bowels are yearning, man. We got a problem. Houston, we have got a problem. And listen, ultimately, listen to this. It forces an action that you can't control. Now, we're not going to go into details of what that action is, but... Your bowels yearn and it forces an action. Listen, the word pity is a horrible translation. It's, it really should be compassion. He had compassion. Listen, what it's saying is that when he saw this man, he had such an emotion of compassion when he looked at him that it was like the bowels yearning. And the point is, it causes an action that you can't control. See, listen, Jesus Christ lives inside of us, guys. And if we would see people as Jesus sees them, it would cause a yearning of compassion inside of us that we couldn't control. We would have to. We would have to step out in faith. Listen, true compassion demands an action. Write that down. I'm telling you, I want to say that again. True compassion demands an action. See, it's more than a feeling. True compassion is more than a feeling. You say uh, that you care, and then you don't do anything, then you don't really care. You can't tell me that you really care and you have compassion if you don't do anything. This word, splangnidzomahi, is used several times in the gospel, and every time it's used, it's talking about an experience that Jesus had when he had this overwhelming compassion for people that caused it forced an action. You see, Jesus had an uncontrollable feeling, an uncontrollable uh, compassion for people. There's five instances in the scripture. I'm just going to show you two this morning. One's in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, a man with leprosy came and he knelt in front of Jesus and he begged to be healed. If you are willing, you can make me clean and you can heal me, he said. In the verse 41, it says, moved with compassion. Everybody say compassion. He saw this guy, and there was something inside of him. It was so strong. It was like the bowels yearning that it caught, it triggered an action. He couldn't, he, Jesus didn't sit there and go, oh, oh hey, buddy, uh, I'm real busy right now, uh, but I just want you to know you'll be in my thoughts and my prayers. Is that what Jesus did? But that's what we do. 
That's how we do it on Facebook. That's how we do it with our friends and our family and our church. Instead of reaching out and touching somebody's life, reaching out, getting off of our donkeys and helping people. Hey, buddy, you're in my, you're in my prayers. You're in, you're in my thoughts. Right? Is that what Jesus did? No. It says he was moved with compassion and he reached out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I am willing be healed. And that man was healed. Jesus was moved in compassion, this deep compassion, and it forced an action. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it says, Jesus saw this huge crowd and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. This more than a feeling, it caused him to do what? Heal their sick. He actually did something. Why? Because he cared. And because he cared, it demanded an action. Guys, we have to be a church of action. We have to be a church, I declare, a church that cares. And because we care, we do something. You know, it's tragic to me that we live in a society where we care 40% less about people than we used to. And my, my prayer is this, that we're the answer. My prayer is that I believe we are a chosen generation. We are called by God. We have been placed right here. Right here in this neighborhood to bring about a change and not just to sit here and go, yeah, we're a church. Hey, thinking about you, praying for you. No, 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 no. That we really care about this neighborhood and we reach out and we touch them. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time today is just try to bring some application to your life because you can hear a message like this all day long, right? Every single week you can hear this and that we need to show compassion. But here's, how does that apply to my life, Pastor? How does it look in my life? And so that's what we're going to do for the rest of it. If you're taking notes, I just got three quick things, and I encourage you to write these things down. If you do, if you start to work these things out in your life, I'm, I promise you your life is going to be changed. Number one is this. We'll put it up on the Sky Bible for you. If you've taken notes, write this down. Number one, compassion interrupts your routine. Compassion is going to interrupt your routine. You see, think about the Good Samaritan in the story. He's traveling down a road that he went down tons of times. I mean, he had to have because when he went and he took to the innkeeper, that he told the innkeeper, here's some money and give him everything he needs because when I come back, I am going to pay for all the rest of the bill. If, if he hadn't been there a lot of times, then this guy wouldn't have trusted him to do that. Okay, So this was a part of this guy's daily routine. And it was just like the, the Levite, just like the priest. It was a part of their daily routine. But if you're going to have true compassion, guys, I'm telling you, your daily routine is going to be interrupted. You know, I think about how uh, a story about Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 6 when uh, they, had been, they had been working hard in ministry for days and days and he had been preaching and they had been uh, praying for the dead. They'd been casting demons out of people. I mean, it was just awesome. Things are going on in Mark chapter 6. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he sees, man, these guys are tired. We need to have some alone time. We need to go away to a, a deserted place where nobody is and we need to get some R&R. You ever felt like that before? Well, Jesus saw that and he says, hey guys, come away with me. We're going to go uh, on, on the lake and we're going to go to the other side we're going to get some R&R. &R. They're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And so the Bible says that they get in the boat and they start going, you know, they're rowing along or they put the sail up and they're going along. And as they're going along, the disciples start to notice that there's a multitude of people running along the banks 
going to where they're going. And they're like, oh my goodness. And I don't know, Pastor Jared, if it would have been me, I've been really tired in those places. And I don't know, if, if I was in Jesus' spot, I might have got a little angry and been like, man, I need some time. I need some, just some time for myself. But the Bible says that Jesus, when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. There was this overwhelming yearning inside of him to help these people. And what does compassion do? It causes an action. It forces an action. And so he steps out of the boat and he goes and he ministers to these people. And that day, 5,000 people, some theologians will tell you because the women and children weren't counting, it was over 20,000 people. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened that day. Why? Because he allowed the compassion to interrupt his routine. Uh, I was thinking about uh, in Mark chapter 2, there's a story. And this one blew me away, Pastor Jared, because there is a group of people that have come to hear Jesus preach at a guy's house. And they're sitting there, and, and it says there's such a multitude of people that there are, there are some guys that are trying to get their friend who needed to be healed in to see, into the teaching so Jesus could see him and heal him. And there's so many people there that are, and it would be kind of like today, Jesus is teaching and the people came to hear him. So I'm teaching today and y'all came to hear me, right? So I picture Jesus kind of talking like this, except it was a lot more people. The herds are coming, right? And so all of a sudden, there's a racket on top of the building. And there's these crazy guys with like pickaxes and shovels, like tearing the roof up. And I don't know about you, Pastor Jared, but if we put a lot of work into this building. If that started happening this morning, I'd be like, security, security, we got some crazy guys. I don't know what's going on. I would be in my routine. I've studied. I have the word of the Lord. I want to give it to the people, and I don't want you guys to be distracted. So somebody call 911. Get these crazy people off. But what did Jesus do? See, compassion interrupts your routine. And he looked on them with compassion. I guess he said, let her rip, tater chip. <laughs> and this dude come down out of the building. And what did he do? An action. He healed a man. It's awesome. Story after story of story. I'm telling you, if you're going to be a person of compassion, compassion is going to interrupt your routine. Number two, compassion is going to cost you resources. Come on, everybody say Amen. It's going to cost us. It is. It's, it's, it's going to cost us. In this story, we see that compassion, it costs a Samaritan. Right? I mean, it cost him oil and wine. I think about this. The guy was beaten. He was naked and bloody. Um, I'm sure he took off his outer garment. In the day, they had an outer garment. I'm sure he took that off, and he started to, you know, wipe off the blood, and, and he started to pour the, and, and, and he ruined his clothes. It cost him what he was wearing that day. It cost him his donkey. When he took him to the hotel motel, it said it cost him two denarii, two days' wages. Let me, let me ask you this. What do you make in a day? Can you imagine taking that and then the next day's wage? And just giving that for somebody that you don't even know? A stranger in need? Well, that's, that's what this guy did. It, it, it cost him. And listen, listen, I want you to please hear what I'm about to say. Because I know you hear a sermon like this and you're like, yeah, pastor, man, I do need to get off my donkey. And, you, and, and it's, it's real easy to kind of uh, feel shame. Kind of feel like, oh, I'm guilty. Oh, man. 
and, and then, you know, be like, oh, I just kind of feel beat up today. That's not the purpose of this message. My purpose of this message is that you be lifted up, that you be encouraged, but that you also be challenged, right? And I want, I want you to hear that when I was reading this story, I saw something I'd, I'd never saw until this past week. You see, the good Samaritan, it cost him, but listen, he gave what he could. No less and no more. He gave what he could. You know, sometimes God's going to ask you. I remember I had a friend, and uh, we were at a pastor's conference, and <laughs> it was crazy. He, um, it came time they were going to receive a special offering for the conference, and uh, the guy that got up there to receive the offering, he said, I, I want y'all to do something uh, before we receive this. Can y'all, everybody, just pray and ask the Holy Spirit what would he, he would have you to give? And my, my friend goes, I've never done that before. And uh, I go, okay, we'll just do it. He's like, that sounds like a good idea. He's like, okay. So he prayed, and he said, God, what do you want me to give? And uh, God, God spoke to his heart. It wasn't like an audible voice. It was just, you know, this inspiration in his heart. Is it $200? And he opened his eyes, and he went, God told me to give $200. I go, man, that's awesome. And, and I go, I go uh, he looked at me, and he goes, uh, we got a problem. And I go, what? And he goes, that's all I got. And as soon as he said, that's all I got, he said he heard God say, that's all I want. That's all I want. And so this guy said, dude, if I give this, I don't have any money for the rest of the pastor's conference. And I go, I don't know what to tell you to do, man. I mean, you prayed, God told you what to do. I just step out in faith and do it. So he did it. When we were leaving that, we were walking out of that pastor's conference, a guy came in and just said, God told me, he were, you were just, I was just seeing you in the pastor, and there were 6,000 people there. He said, I just saw you, and God told me to come and give you this, and he gave him $1,000 cash. He said, God just told me to bless you, and it blew this guy away. He was like, oh my goodness, listen, give what you, what you have. No more, no less. In this story, this guy had finances to give, right? He didn't have four denarii, but he had two, so he gave two right? He had a donkey, so he gave that. You know what he didn't have? He didn't have time, right? He told the innkeeper, I don't have time, and I don't know why he didn't have time. I don't know if he had business obligation or he had a family obligation, but he said, I can't stay here, so I can't give of my time right now, but I want you to take care of him because I do have some more money, and when I come back, I'll foot his bill. Listen, give what you have. And I know a lot of people, I heard a lot of people right after this tragic uh, Hurricane Harvey went through, I heard a lot of people say, man, I really want to do something. But because I am strapped financially, I don't feel like I can do anything. I, want, I have compassion, I want to do something for people, but I just don't have the money to do it. Do you have a Saturday that you can go and you can donate free labor? then that's what you have to give. You don't have to give money if you don't have it. If you have time, listen, you have three resources. You have time, you have talent, and you have treasure. And you need to get busy giving what God is asking you to do. If you're going to live a life of compassion, it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you something. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I really just don't have time, but you do have finances. Maybe there's something that God's been speaking to your heart. He's been saying, listen, financially, this is what I want you to sow into the exchange. And this is, you know, right now we had uh, uh, some people give specifically towards the, uh, our new sign out there. God put that on somebody's heart, and they were faithful to give. And we already had somebody stop in and, and come in and say, wow, I saw the sign, and so I stopped, and I want to say, man, that's awesome. I see what you guys are doing. It's working. I'm telling you, 
allow your heart to be moved with compassion. And when you moved with compassion, it's going to cost you. And, and um, the, the third and final thing, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here and help me close, is this. Number three, compassion changes lives radically. This last week, um, I sat down and I just started to make a list of things that I've done out of compassion. Simple things like um, helping a friend move. That sounds simple, but is it, does anybody like to help anybody move? It's like the worst thing, right? Moving all that stuff, packing all that stuff in boxes. But I, I did that. I, I, I saw that my friend was in need, and I, I stepped out out of compassion. I helped them move. Um, I am the guy that always pulls over and helps, helps people when they have a flat tire. I, I do those type of things. Uh, a couple years ago, my daughters came to me and they said, Dad, there's, there's two girls that go to, we go to school with and we don't think they're going to have any Christmas presents. They're really poor. Can we do something? And I said, yeah, we can. And so we made Christmas happen for those two little girls. And we did that out of a heart of compassion. And, and it was awesome to see what God did in that. But the one that really stuck out to me the most when I was making this list was um, a couple years ago, there was a, a lady, uh, a single mom, and she had three kids, all uh, 10, 10 years and younger. And really, she was homeless. Um, and there's a long story about how all that went down. It was just terrible. And it was just a, a pitiful situation. She was down and out of her luck. And I heard about it. I, my heart was moved with compassion. And listen, if you care, if you say you care, you're going to do something, right? It, it, compassion causes an action. And so I made a couple of phone calls, and I found, I found her a free house. And I went to go look at the house, Pastor, and it was, it was a pitiful. It was a free house. <laughs> you know, it was two bedroom, one bath. Um, and the people that were in it before had just tore it up, and it was awful. But I went to the lady and I was like, hey, uh, I found you a free house. She's like, oh, why would you do that? Are you kidding me? And I was like, yeah, but let me, um, let's go look at it before you say you would like to. We walked in and what I saw is pitiful and ugly. She just started crying. She said, this can be ours. We just need a place to stay. And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, how much is it? And I said, well, the guy will let you stay here for free. I told him your situation. She's like, she just started to cry. And uh, they literally didn't have anything. And so I called some people in the church and I was like, hey, there's this family and they don't have anything. I mean, they didn't have pots and pans. They didn't have forks and knives. They didn't have decorations. And I said, hey, let's, let's get together. Y'all bring all your secondhand stuff, all your leftover stuff, and let's see what we can do. And so just people started to come, man. And this family was so blessed and we painted the walls and we fixed the sheetrock and and she just couldn't for days we were the whole church was just over there just helping this lady out and when we got done it looked like a home i remember as we were moving in the final furniture she she started crying she was like thank you so much and um we got to talking and she said I, well i know you're a pastor and she's like i you know i don't really believe in all that stuff and whatever. I don't think I even believe in God. And, uh, and I remember she said, 
but I did go to Sunday school when I was a little girl a couple times. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And I just felt in my heart to step out in faith and just share my testimony with her. I just felt an open door. And so I said, hey, you know, let me tell you why I do what I do. And, I, and I, so I just started to tell her, man, I, I was like, I have a past. And I started to tell her how God delivered me from alcohol, addiction to pornography, how I almost ruined my marriage. And God not only saved my life, but he saved my marriage. And, and I started to tell her, I said, you know, one of the breaking points for me is I remember looking in, in, uh, in John 3, you know, everybody says John 3.16, but John 3.17 is awesome because it says God didn't send his son to the world to condemn it, which I what I was taught my whole life is that God's mad at us and, and because we need to be the people that he wants us to be. He wants us to change. You know, he'll love us if we do good. And I was like, that was, uh, it was false. And I started telling, I was like, you know what, God, I found out that God loved me. And I said, and I had done some horrible things, but God forgave me of all those things because his love is unconditional. And she looked at me, she started to cry, and she said, I don't know what love is. And she said, there's no way that anybody could forgive me for the things that I've done. And she said, I can't even tell you what I've done. They're so horrible. They're so awful. I go, hey, everybody has, a, has done mistakes. And, and she goes, no, 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 no. What I've done, it could never be forgiven. I go, no, 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 it can. I'm telling you. And I, I started telling her about Paul, who used to be Saul. And I was like, this guy used to murder Christians. Like, there's a, you believe in Jesus? Yeah. And he would murder them. I, have, I said, have you ever done anything? And she said, what I've done is way worse than that. I said, it doesn't matter. God still loves you. She said, there's just no way. And she's crying. There's just no way. And so we went back and forth and I was starting to get a little frustrated. I was like, yeah, yeah. And it just finally hit me. And this is what I did. Reverse psychology. I went, you know what? I think you're right. And she was crying. She goes, what? And I go, I think, I think you're right. I think what you've done is, is bigger than God's love. I mean, it's, it's really bad. and I don't think you can be forgiven. And she goes, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What about all that grace stuff? And I go, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to really agree with you. I think that what you did was so bad that God can't love you. And she goes, well, I, I, bet, he, I bet he can. I, I, what, I mean, what did... Wait, you said you said that he his love is unconditional, right? And I said, I said, yeah, that's what I said. And I said, hey, and I looked at her and I said, Crystal, do you believe that God his love can forgive you? And she, she Pastor, she just changed. Like all this stuff just fell off her. She said, Yeah. And I go, then you're saved. Right there, she believed at that moment. I go, then you're saved. And listen, here's, here's the conclusion that I came to, and this is the reason I told you that story. I don't know if Crystal remembers that day. I don't know if Crystal even remembers me. But I do. I remember, I remember every detail about that. I remember her name. And the conclusion that I came to is this. When you live a life of compassion, the life that is radically changed is not the person that the compassion was shown to, but the person that showed compassion. Your life. If you step out, it's what he was talking about. See, 
At the end of the, I'll, I'll finish off the story. He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 36, after Jesus told this whole story. He says, which one of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law in verse 37 says this, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise was an answer to the question that he asked at the very beginning of the story. What must I do to have an abundant life on this earth now? Be a person of compassion because if you, if you do, I promise you, your life will be changed radically. Other people's will too, but I'm telling you, yours will be the most. Can I ask you guys to stand to your feet? I just want you to bow your heads for just a second. And I just want to pray for you guys this morning. Father, I, I'm so thankful for this, this story of the, of the Good Samaritan. We can see in this story how lives are radically changed in an instant. As we look, Father, as we step out and we show compassion. And Father, I thank you that your spirit this morning is speaking to people even today. And I thank you in advance of the lives that are going to be impacted as we move with compassion like Jesus did. And right now, Father, as we just continue in this attitude of prayer, I just want to ask you guys, as you bow your heads and you just focus on how God's speaking to you, I just want to, I want to ask you a question because I really believe there are people here this morning that this message is speaking to your heart. And you say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I'm tired of being George Costanza. I'm tired of being that, that guy that's desensitized or that, that lady that's overwhelmed and, and doesn't really care about the, the, the culture today and the people today. I'm, Pastor, I'm ready to get off my donkey. I'm not going to be the one that says, isn't that what the, the, the people in the Red Cross are for? Isn't that what nuns are for? No, no, no. Pastor, I know that it's for me. This word is for me. God has called me to love the world, to touch the world. If that's you, and I pray that this is everybody this morning, would you just raise your hand in response and say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. I'm going to live a life of compassion. Amen. Amen. Let me, just, let me just pray for you as we close. You know, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just lift up your people, and I thank you so much that your Holy Spirit this morning is stirring us up. And, and I, I thank you for the divine compassion that's stirring up in our hearts. Father, I pray that as you dwell in our hearts, that, that we would have a heart for others, that we would have a compassion for others. I declare that it's time for us to get off our donkeys, to step into this abundant life. I pray that your people this morning would be moved to do something even before the sun goes down today. I pray that we would begin to serve our community, that we would serve our families, that we would serve at the exchange, that we would serve in our workplaces and that those places, Lord God, would be different because we are people who care. And because we care, Lord, we serve. And we declare that this, this morning, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus.